Happy Monday, Kitty Cats, and welcome back to the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast. Before we get into today's interview with the amazing Miles Wakeham, you're going to love this guy. I want to let you guys know about a special episode I've got coming up next week, but you can catch it live. You can catch it live this Friday. If you're just a member of the Lions of Liberty Pride for as little as five bucks a month, you can join us on Patreon or now on Locals as well. You can head over to lionsofliberty.locals.com or join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. I'll be hosting a live conversation between Dave Smith, Jason Stapleton, and myself. I'll be there hanging out. We're going to be having drinks and I guess you could say casually chatting. This is not a debate in any way, shape, or form. Uh, this is three of us who've known each other for, for quite a long time now uh, getting together and just chatting about the state of affairs. Of course, uh, Jason has been critical of the Mises Caucus, not so much of Dave in particular, but of the overall strategy. So we're going to be talking a lot about that, a lot about personal responsibility, how both of them have achieved the ability in their life to have, well, dare I say, wealth, power, and influence. So tune in next week. You guys are going to want to check it out, but you got to join the pride. Either join us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty, or become one of our first supporters on Locals. We need to empower people with not just the philosophical tool, but the inspiration to break free from the system. Welcome to the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly dose of education, inspiration, and real world application from the top minds in the liberty movement. If you want liberty, we need to be better leaders, better husbands, better fathers, better friends, better businessmen. We need to be better people. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. All right, my guest today is an entrepreneur and the host of the fantastic Unconstrained Podcast. I'm very pleased to welcome Miles Wakeham. Miles, are you ready to roar? Oh, I roll with extreme prejudice. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed you do. And that's one thing uh, I've come to really like about you, Miles. I first heard from you on my friend Mikkel Thorpe's podcast, The Expat Money Show. Uh, I've been working with him on that podcast for the last year or so. So um, I get to see see and hear all his interviews before they even air. And before yours even drop to the public, I was always already telling Mikkel, like, you got to connect me to this guy. Like, I was so impressed with your story and your attitude and your approach to life that I really wanted to share that uh, with the Lions of Liberty audience. So I'm so pleased to welcome you here today. There's there's a lot of directions I want to go. And we'll see. We'll see what what we get to where. But I want to start off with just a, a really straightforward question. Since you host the podcast called the Unconstrained Podcast, why don't we just start with you telling people out there what exactly does it mean? What does it mean to you to be unconstrained? Well, it would be easy for me just to say freedom, but that's such a broad topic. And there's so many different elements and aspects of it. But the reason why I started doing it came about my daughter went to U of A, uh, University of Arizona, down in Tucson. We live in Phoenix, uh, Scottsdale. And uh, she was down there. She had a birthday coming up. So we organized a party for her. And, of course, all of her college friends, free food, you know, they're coming along. So we ended up hosting about a dozen people. And I went down there and I'm sitting on the end of one table and she's up the other end with my wife and her friends and whatever. I was just talking to the the guys there, you know, they were all, I guess, probably either junior or sophomore year kind of high school, uh, college guys. 
And um, we just got to talking. Of course, the natural thing I think any parent would sort of say to people like that is, well, what are you going to do when you leave college, right? What are you going to do with your life? What sort of career path? And a couple of them had some pretty decent ideas. I mean, one wanted to be a rocket scientist, another one wanted to be a chemical engineer. And then most of them were looking at me like, I don't know. (laughs) And I sort of... Then they, then they turned the question back on me and they said, well, what did you study when you went to college? And I'm like, kid, I never went to college. In fact, I have even finished high school. And they're and saying, they're, what? Yeah. And they're like, oh, this guy's such a dropkick. You know, he's good. But you're here paying for dinner? What's yeah, going really? on? Yeah, I'm, dr- I'm the guy who drove up in the Mercedes out there, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it's sort of weird because I thought – how do I help these kids? How do I not advise them? But then I, it gave me that position where I realized that my background was so atypical to everybody else's. And it came from a time and from a place that feels like it's some sort of folkloric story. But in reality, it was normal of how we were raised. And when I moved to the United States in 89, I had a really hard time um, accepting a lot of the things that I was seeing about me. And back then, things weren't so bad compared to what they are today. But this whole concept that people couldn't get health care if they got sick or that they couldn't keep the money they earned or that the free market kind of disappeared and yet it was the basis of everything. And it was like, after one thing after another, after another, started coming up with this, I don't fit in here. And then I started talking to people over the years, you know, they, they, they tell you their political ideologies or their beliefs or whatever, and I'm listening to it going, you, you guys hypnotised or something? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like... You're, you're more right than you might have realised. Well, you know, there was an old... An old phrase, I guess, that I've always heard, and that is the wisest person in the room is often the newbie because they come in with no preconceived ideals and they see things from like a thousand foot and everybody else is just habitually doing the same thing over and over again. And I'm looking at it going, this shit ain't right. This is not how the world works. And, you know, I come from Australia. I come from the other side of the planet in a place that's the same landmass size as the United States, but at the time had 18 million people living in it. I mean, it's like half the population of Southern California lived in the country of the United States. Everything out there in the world where I came from would either kill you, maim you, and yet, you know, like snakes, spiders, jellyfish, sharks, crocodiles, everywhere you go, there's something that's going to kill you. And yet we went around having been raised in that with this sort of assumption like, well, the buck stops on my desk because i got to make friends with nature here or it's going to slaughter me. Um, you come into the world with that mindset and that attitude and all of a sudden nothing makes sense anymore. And it, it wasn't like the town versus the city. It wasn't that sort of thing. It was just that when you get enough people together in a group they really mess shit up. And, <laughs> and I, I just never connected with that. I, I, I preferred this sort of decentralized, more naturally organic way that things could work, almost a 
non-government. I'd seen the worst of government from where I'd come from before. I realised that didn't work. And by the time I tried to connect the dots and then understand me and my upbringing, it was this massive wake-up call of how atypical I was, how much of a contrarian I was to everyone else. When you use that phrase, like hypnotized, that people seem hypnotized to you because, you know, you when you get into certain groups, you just start hearing the same phrases over and over. It's just a repetition. And this is something that like some people are referred to this as, as ideological possession. It's when you become obsessed with some kind of political ideology and you cling to it. And then everything you do and say is just is just basically regurgitating that ideology in one way, shape or form. Meanwhile, you're kind of stuck in a loop because you're not actually taking action. You're not actually changing anything in your own life or even the lives of others. You're just sort of in this ideologically possessed loop. And uh, people of my political persuasion are absolutely no exception to that. Um, in fact, they're just as susceptible, maybe even more so to it, because I think uh, people of like a, the libertarian ilk can really feel like we're so freaking right. Although maybe everybody feels that way about their own ideology. Like we're just so damn right and we know it. So of course we're going to be telling people over and over and over and over. Um, so is, do you think you're the way you were raised in Australia, um, like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much of talking about, you know, encountering animals and nature and that sort of thing is, is literal for you, or if that's just a part of the culture, but you know, did, was it, is it, was it something for you where you just weren't as exposed to that stuff when you were growing up? So then when you did show up, um, in the United States or just in the cities or what have you and start to encounter this phenomenon, it was so new to you that it really stood out. Whereas to other people that have maybe were raised in these bubbles, it just seemed normal. Well, we have a term in Australia which represented a lot of my generation, and I'm not unique in this. This happened to all my friends as well. We were what they call free-range kids. We were raised with – I was lucky enough to live in a place that was just outside of the city that had a national park to the, right on my doorstep. So myself and all my friends, you know, growing up when you were sort of, you know, seven, eight years old or whatever, we would all get together on our bicycles and go into the parks and find great trails to ride and have adventures and build go-karts and throw them down mountains and almost kill ourselves. I mean, that used to be a pastime. We loved it. It was like you'd, you'd long for the weekend because you could go out with your friends on your bikes and have a wild time, and, and that was normal. Um, there was never any discussion about, watch out, you'll get hit by a car. More than likely, the cars were worried about us. <laughs> we, were, <laughs> right. we were out there in force. They didn't, you know, it's like, I'm worried about a car. Now I'm worried about the black snake there that's going to kill me in the grass. Um, that was more of it. You take things in your stride. You're raised that way. Um, at the same time, in let's say in the late 70s, early 80s, this was a time in the economy when interest rates for a mortgage were at like 18, 20%. This is when people didn't have debt because they couldn't afford to service it. So they didn't have the luxury of waxing philosophical about things like macroeconomics and all that stuff, because at the end of the day, they just got to pay their rent and get back to work. Um, it was a, But nobody was stressed because they weren't, some bankster didn't have a gun to their head every month going, pay me for that car, please, or else. You know, that, we didn't have that. You bought an old junker and you did it up. I mean, it sounds a little third world, but it wasn't. I mean, it was a properly regulated and, and ceremonious way of growing up. It had manners and it had suit and tie and all that sort of, it had a very British kind of upbringing, but at the same time, we were pragmatic. We knew that 
growing up, you know, it's it, the buck stops on your desk and you help your neighbor out because if they fall down, you don't want to fall down with them. That's a, a really interesting connection that I'd never quite exactly made before this idea of maybe like having such freer credit, making it so easy to just access money that you didn't really earn or don't really have the responsibility for it or don't really realize what you're getting into when it's so easy to get. You know, maybe we can live sort of a, a more of a false life of luxury of sorts. And then maybe we have the the luxury of just waxing and philosophical and getting so caught up in ideologies that we actually forget what we have to do to survive day in and day out. Uh, we forget about having community. We forget about helping our neighbors and what have you. And man, that's that's never been more present than today where we are right now. Yeah, I, I do feel that we've fallen into an illusion over money. I mean, we've gotten to the point where governance spend it without, re, you know, out consider. They don't look at the checkbook before they write the check. They just spend. And the reality is that it permeates into regular society. And when I look at the statistics, if I was to quote the regular financial statistics of people in the United States, say 20 years ago, they would have called me a conspiracy theorist. But today, you've got 78% of people living paycheck to paycheck. Most of society couldn't, un couldn't handle an unexpected $500 bill. 30% only of society are likely to be able to afford to retire, let alone when they're 65 and so on. And that the very same agencies that are telling us to put on masks and take vaxes are also not advertising the fact that our life expectancy statistically for a US male in the last five, six years dropped four years from 79.3 years to 75. So it's, wow. we, and yet at the same time, those that have been raised on this promise of social security and Medicare for their future realize that the government wants them to push out their retirement age to say 67. Well, do the math, right? I'm not a high school graduate, but I'll tell you 75 less 67 means you don't live very long on your pension. I mean, this is, this is our world and we don't stand up to it. We just go along with the motions. Uh, if you see that as, a, as I do, as an outsider to some degree, although I've lived here 20 something years, but I still kind of see it that way. If you see it that way, then all of the ramblings that you see of the right versus the left and the, you know, the, the, you know, patriot movements and all this sort of thing, it's like, why the hell are you wasting your time on that? There are bigger fish to fry here. And the fish, the, you know, at the end of the day, it's your life, right? You, you want to live it with freedom and freedom of speech and all of those things. I get that. So do I. But you also want to have some years to enjoy that as well. And we're screwing that up by the food we put in our body and the, the choices we make on the mortgage. I mean, I, it, you know, I, this topic comes up in conversation a lot, but the people forget that the literal translation of the word mortgage is death contract in French. So if that's the case and you know that banks want to enslave you to pay interest from the age of 18 with student loan debt and you'll never get out of stopping paying them interest until the day you die, that's a death contract and that's our world. If that's an acceptable modus operandi, I opt out. 
All right, guys. Well, one thing you're not going to want to opt out of is our amazing deal we have from our sponsors at Paloma Verde at PalomaVerdeCBD.com. There are many, many reasons for you to support Paloma Verde CBD. One, of course, you want to opt into that discount. You get 25% off any order over $75. If you use discount code ROAR at checkout, you're also going to get free shipping on that order. Can't beat it. Uh, On top of that, CBD is just a miracle. CBD has done so much for me, uh, whether it's some of the ointments and uh, just some of the, uh, the 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 tinctures that can help you sleep at night, help your joints, help your oh, help that creaky neck, help everything. Uh, I truly can say CBD is an absolute miracle. And if you're gonna buy your CBD, you may as well buy it from our friends. Carlos and Vanessa Abelar. They are the owners, proprietors of Paloma Verde CBD, good friends of this program. And hey, if you're going to buy CBD, you may as well help out this amazing sponsor of ours who's sponsoring this program, help your fellow libertarians, help support this podcast, and get some amazing CBD products. My favorite are the incredible gummies. You got to check out the gummies. They're delicious. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Use discount code ROAR at checkout. What you describe right there is essentially what is sold to us from a very young age uh, as the American dream. That's what you do. You go to school, you learn things you learn like you know items that you have to check off and then with that information maybe it's just enough knowledge to get your way through college now don't worry it's expensive yes but we've got a whole system set up for you don't worry you're going to take out this debt can be you're going to give you a good deal here it's going to be fine you're going to get a job and pay it off don't even sweat it uh do that get a job start paying off those loans before you know it if things work out well you'll meet a nice woman you'll start a family You'll go in, but you're going to want a house, of course, to live in with your family. We got that covered, too. We got no problem. Once again, we're going to swoop in. You're going to get another loan and you're going to spend the rest of your life paying this thing off and working yourself to the bone until the day you die. Congratulations. Welcome to America. (laughs) I mean, that's how it's sold to us. And I think for many people, they only realize what what a false bill of goods they've been sold when it's too late, when they are in that debt, when they are in the point where now they are stuck and now trapped. And I know there's people listening to the show that are on you know various levels of that spectrum. Some might be deep into debt, uh, whether it's house debt or student loan debt or what have you. Others might be in a position where they could choose to get into that debt or not. So I'm speaking to everybody. We're speaking to everybody here today. But maybe we can just tick back a little bit and learn a little bit more about your story, about exactly how you got here. Now, growing up in the outback, not going to high school, not graduating high school anyway, not going to college, and here you are living a very unconstrained life, uh, I'd say, compared to the average person anyway. So why don't you just, I'll let you take it from wherever you think is, is the best place to start. Um, but, you know, after you were out there dodging and dodging the snakes and what have you in the outback, how did, where did your journey go from there? And actually, what, one question, if you don't mind, like, I, I'm just occurred to me when you were kind of mentioning all these various animals, we always hear stories about dangerous animals in Australia. I'm just curious, like, have you had an actual, um, not deadly, obviously, because you're here, but like a dangerous or frightening encounter with, with animals in Australia? Is there one that comes to mind? I, I have, yeah. When I was uh, 16, I got bitten by a jellyfish uh, while I was surfing, and it put me in the ICU for two weeks, and I almost died uh, wow. from the poison from it. it. It was one of those things where the reaction of the poison was to balloon out your body, it was kind of, you know, your, your, your hand doubled in width. It was the most grotesque-looking elephant man experience I've ever had. And gradually started off at my feet and it went sort of gradually up my body. And when they got lean in my lungs, the hospital were like, oh, shit, 
if this thing does that, it's going to destroy his vital organs. He's gone. Um, so, yeah, I've experienced it. Thankfully, it receded just before it got into danger zone. So I was lucky. But there are plenty of people out there who are not. Wow. Yeah. So that, that's just a normal kid's teenage story. <laughs> yeah. It changes your perspective on things, you know. I, I imagine. And that that is not, as you'll, I'm sure you'll get to, that. that is not your first brush with death. No, sir. No, it's not. So, all right. So I'll give you the accelerated version of it if right. I can. When I was in my teenage years and I was about 15, uh, I discovered uh, technology, radios, computers, and things like that. Very much in the, it was about 78, right when the first ever personal computers were invented. So I bought one of these things with money I'd saved up from having a paper route. Uh, I didn't borrow anything. I just saved my money. And I went to my dad after I'd learned, I got this computer, I learned how to program it. And I said, listen, you're spending all this money sending me to like a private high school, private school. I don't need to be there. I don't want to be there. I want to get out. It's like, what do you mean? You're just going to stay there and finish your education. I'm like, why? There's nothing helping me. I'm sitting on a gold mine right now. I know how to program this computer. And everybody out there is going to want people programming computers. And for some reason, he is smart enough to actually say, you know, kid, you might be onto something. All right, I'll let you not finish high school. So I got out. I don't know if this computer thing's really going to catch on, but let's yeah. see. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, as it did, you know, years and years later, I formed a company. I uh, hired a half a dozen other people like me, and we started writing software for people. And we didn't realize that it was one of those supply and demand things, right? There were very, very few companies like us that could write software and a lot of demand. So we ended up finding ourselves in places that I'd never expect to find myself in. Um, the Attorney General's Department, I was writing software for them. We were writing software for the, um, the very universities I never went to. We ran their cryogenic freezer storage uh, systems for the Flinders University, um, and yet I could never go to university. Um, I wrote systems to track DHL level carriers who are transporting goods all over the world. I wrote their, their uh, shipping ticket systems for them. Eventually, I wrote the system that built the Royal Australian Navy for $5 billion worth of submarines that were being built. Um, and I wrote it on a Macintosh of all things, which is <laughs> bizarre. But, but this is the sort of thing that happens when you're in the Wild West, you're on a frontier. Um, by about the age of 25, I got kind of not bored with it, but I, I felt like big fish in a small pond. I needed to get out. I uh, was vacationing in Hawaii. I met a girl. I ended up um, going to see her in, in Los Angeles. I ended up getting married kind of unexpectedly and not in a bad way, but it just, just happened uh, out of the blue. And then I found myself in um, uh, the San Fernando Valley with her and she went to work and I wasn't allowed to because immigration wouldn't let you do that. You had to wait to get your papers. So I ended up bumbling around all through Hollywood because I was a musician. I could play guitar. So I ended up in bands. And next thing you know, we were doing well and playing all the clubs. And then, then that turned into record deals. And I learned to become a recording engineer because I had the technical chops. And in the end, I started becoming the guy recording other artists I worked for Capitol Records uh, as an independent contractor for a while. Uh, so I did my stint there, 
but that wasn't really enough to pay the bills. So I went looking for work uh, in startups and I bumbled into this, this place that was in a mobile trailer in a parking lot in Thousand Oaks that had some medical thing they were doing. And I went in there thinking, well, they're probably not going to hire me because they can't vouch for my background or anything. And they, on the other side of the desk, they're looking at me going, he probably won't work for us because we're in this trailer. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, look, I don't care where, you, where you're working. If you're doing good things, I can help you out. You know, I'd done all this software before. You have to take my word for it. Um, they said, okay. They gave me a job. They gave me stock options. They gave me health care and all this stuff. And I thought, hey, I'm on the way to the American dream, right? Uh, well, that little startup became Amgen, the world's largest biotechnology corporation. And five years later, I um, left there. Uh, I had to go back to Australia because my mother had a car accident. But when I left there, I cashed in my options and walked away with like a million bucks. I was 32. I went back to Australia thinking I am never have to work another day in my life again. <laughs> I've done it, you know, retire early. And then the reality of that set in and it set in for me and it set in for my wife and eventually she said, this ain't going nowhere, I'm out of here. So she, we got a divorce, she left and um, I'm sitting around the house. It was about Christmas time or something and my friends that I grew up with who I you know, was hanging with came over and said, um, come with us. We're going up to Queensland, which is like a two-day drive uh, for New Year's Eve. You don't need to be around here by yourself. Come with us. I said, no, all right, fine. So we went up there. We're coming back after New Year's Eve and day two of the drive. I'm in the back seat of the car and my buddy drives over this sort of a rise in the outback and I'm reading a book and I listen. I hear this splash. I'm like, what the hell? We're in the outback. This is desert. I look up. We had a flash flood. Now, oh we get those here in Arizona where I live now. They're really dangerous. People say you'd never go anywhere near them. But out there, there was no news. There was no signage. There was nothing. He hit this at high speed. Car just bounced and ended up heading on, in, uh, head on, collided into a, a traffic coming the other way. Um, his girlfriend sitting in front of me. She was killed. Uh, he was really mauled up and I was destroyed. I mean, half my body was just completely shattered. Um, anyway, I got out of that. Uh, it was pretty horrific. But I was in a coma for like about eight days, airlifted to a hospital, and then I started to get the government-provided public health care system, which was crap and nearly killed me. So I got patched up, but it was not much better than, say, an episode of MASH. It was like military-grade triage, and they kicked you out of the hospital so fast because they needed the bed for the next guy, and I was barely able to walk or move or do anything. And is and that I, the only option when, when you're yeah, there in Australia? Just, yeah, for access. There's not an alternative. We can't say, let's go to this hospital. or Don't get a choice. You can go to a private after the fact if you choose to, but for accident and emergency, you're stuck with the government. This is why when people tell me universal health care, I'm like, you don't want that. <laughs> Trust me, you don't want that. Um, so anyway, uh, after I patched myself up, I mean, I had my money, I thought, well, half of that went to the divorce. What was left, I started realizing that I had to start paying for my own rehabilitation and my own 
medical treatments because all of a sudden the government decided they weren't paying for squat because the parents of my buddy's girlfriend who died in the car was so angry and distraught at him being the driver that they managed to convince the DA to charge him with with the negligent homicide. So now there's a criminal case pending in the whole thing. And so the insurance company, which happens, by the way, to be provided by the government, it's a government insurance company, they said, all money, stop. So now I have to hire attorneys and pay for my own medical treatment. All my money went, gone. Nothing left. That million dollars didn't go very far at that point, huh? No. So I've gone from hero to zero real fast and... Thankfully, over the years, I, you know, got through it. I eventually remarried and we had a wonderful daughter. And then in 99, one of the guys I used to work with at Amgen called me up and said, you need to get your butt over here. There's this dot-com boom going on. I said, okay, whatever, it's boring here. So I got on a plane, went, went came back to LA again, got back into the, the whole, and, you know, again, I come back with nothing but a suitcase of clothes. I've got no money. Um, within three years, I made about, well, at least made more than a million dollars on real estate that I had bought um, playing a kind of a triage with foreign exchange. In Australia, I was able to buy Australian real estate for literally half the price with US dollars. And then that went up and up and up and up because China started buying all their stuff out of the backyard over there. So their real estate went way up. And I was just sitting on this mega amount of money. That's funny. At that point in time, I realized, you know, that I deserve that. I didn't deserve this stock option stuff, right? It's it's like winning a lottery. Most people who win a lottery don't get keep, keep don't, don't keep the money more than maybe two years. It sort of just disappears. People who get stock options fall into that category too. And I felt like maybe that was what happened to me. I didn't appreciate what I had because I didn't earn it. It just was given to me. With real estate, I earned it because I, I took the risk. I, I put my money on the table. I put a, made a decision punting on the future, and I took the risk, and, and it paid off. So when I was able to um, enjoy that, I, it changed everything. It changed everything for us as a family. Um, until 2008 came along. <laughs> and then the weirdest thing happened. We had property in the States as well. We tried to rinse and repeat the same model here in Phoenix. Well, that property all dropped in value and I went underwater on it. But I sold the property in Australia, paid out all the debts I had in the States, still had a bundle of cash left over, and then bought everybody else's foreclosures up I could find. Three or four years later, I tripled my money yet again. And so this has been the constant r- rinse and repeat cycle for me. I look ahead to where things are going to be. I punt and position on those things. And just judging from a participation and a willingness to be open-minded and understand things, um, I've made some good decisions. Uh, most of them came later in my life. In my younger years, I didn't have as much to base on, but... That's kind of how it worked out. When you do that and you're the guy who put your chips on the table, you're the guy who fronted up and did the work, you're the guy who took the risks, 
you start really resenting when some bastard out there is taking it from you who didn't do squat. And it's, it kind of led me towards things like Ron Paul and those sort of teachings that really amplified that where governments were doing that sort of thing against their people and extorting their people and and it, it was just it's just wrong when you you should be allowed to keep what you earn it's hard to earn things you take the risks you're the one out there doing the hard slog how dare somebody come and steal it from you and i and i brought the understanding of how bad that was in australia when I, I think when I left Australia in 89, if you had earned, I think the number was $38,000 a year of income, it puts you into a 50% tax bracket. Oh, my God. Yeah. So not only do you have high interest rates, so no one's got debt and things like that, but now you're penalised for actually earning money. And I started realising that most of the people who are earning money Indirectly, it was all coming from the government anyway. It was government-awarded contracts, government-awarded, you know, uh, roads and airports and railways and military stuff. And everywhere you looked, the biggest employer in the country was the public service. And I sort of thought, this is just sort of like taking communism and giving it a shiny sort of a, you know, clean down and reselling it as democratic socialism. But when the GDP of the country is all driven by government spending, that is communism. But nobody realizes that. It's not maybe until today that even of late, you know, the latest things we've been seeing in the news about um, the authoritarian nature of the Australian government to its people that these things start to shine a true light on what they really are and you start realising that I'm so happy I got the hell out. And that's sad when it comes from your own. I mean, imagine if you, as an American, right, if this sort of thing happened to you here and then all of a sudden you leave and you go away for, say, 10, 20 years, right? You go and live in Paris or something and, and then you come back. And when you land at the airport, you look, you have that sort of outsider-looking-in perspective, and you see everything around you, and all of a sudden you're going, I don't, this isn't the country I left. This isn't my home. I don't identify with any of this. And every single time my wife and I leave an airport in Australia, we haven't for a couple of years because of COVID, but every time we leave an airport there, we look at each other as we're going down the airway to the plane and it's always the same thing. We say to each other, we can't come home because this place is not what it was when we were raised as free-range kids. And, and that that's even before COVID, even before oh, all the crazy lockdowns and everything going on there. This is oh, just yeah. a progression over time. It totally is. And it's been accelerated since about 2000 because of China, of all things. Um, this is something that rarely gets a great deal of uh, airplay, but... Uh, Australia didn't suffer in the 2008 great financial crisis because it was able to uh, bolster its its income by exporting all the stuff in the, what we say, we'll dig it up in the backyard and sell it to China, iron ore, bauxite, 
liquid natural gas, and then all the farming products, wheat, barley, uh, lobsters, wine, all the things that are, that a country so big and broad with such a small population, it can farm anything. And China are this consumption machine that just needs stuff. And so Australia just kept shipping it. The chips just went out all the time and everybody started to see money, right? It just flowed through society. And a country which had been living with responsibility to not have debt and, you know, you don't buy something you can't afford kind of attitude, it's like, well, we'll rip the Band-Aid off that one. You can go for it. So everyone's buying four flat screen TVs for every room in their home. And, oh, we need a bigger home for the TV, so let's get another home. <laughs> and then, you know, cars. And and next thing you know, a, a little suburban two- or three-bedroom home in the suburbs of Sydney is to $2.5 million. I mean, <laughs> so I, I go there and go, well, this is insane. I, I've got friends of mine. We we often compare what what's your a- average monthly cost of living. I don't have any of them that can tell me that they can get by in Australia under fifteen thousand dollars a month per month per month. Wow. So wow. You know, I look at that and I go, how, how do you how do you put the genie back in that bottle, right? Well, I mean, what, how do you you can't get a little bit pregnant. <laughs> You're either you're either all in and debt and this is what your future looks like or you get yourself out of it and you find some place of responsibility. I mean, that's all you can do. All right, guys, before we wrap up here, I got to let you know about one of our great sponsors, our longtime sponsors at Lauren Zotti, Italy. If you are a fan of coffee, if you like a nice fresh cup of joe to wake up in the morning as I do, you're going to want to check out our friends at Lauren Zotti, Italy. They deliver fine premium Italian coffees right to your door in these nice little tins that look so wonderful sitting on your counter there. And if that weren't all enough, these guys are great libertarians. They are Patreon supporters of this show. They are absolutely worthy of your support. If that all wasn't enough, these guys do more than just sell coffee. They also help other entrepreneurs set up their own coffee businesses, help them acquire equipment, acquire financing, everything they need to start their own coffee business, start their own coffee shops. So you definitely want to check them out for that reason, if that's something that's been on your mind. Either way, just fantastic people at Lorenzati Italy. Amazing people, fantastic people. You'll want to support them if you're fans of the show. Heck, even if you're not, if you're listening to this by accident, Excellent. Check them out anyway. They have great coffee. Lorenzotti, Italy. You can find them at lorenzotti.coffee. That's L-O-R-E-N-Z-O-T-T-I dot coffee. And you do not want to forget your Lions of Liberty listener discount. Just use discount code ROAR for 10% off your order. I imagine, uh, I mean, I, I want to get back to talking about more of what, what you do in, in the real estate area and how you help people there. But I, maybe we can take a little sidetrack for a minute. Mm-hmm. And because I'm sure you have family and friends still in Australia. What what have you been thinking? I mean, it was one thing before COVID where you just saw things getting worse, maybe economically and, and that sort of thing. And right. But now, I mean, this what's going on there now, like it's going on everywhere. But for some reason, Australia has just gone for every for any place that's been really bad, I mean, I, I've been here in Los Angeles where we had terrible lockdowns, but I looked to Australia, Australia, and I'm like, well, I guess I got it pretty good because I mean, it's just like one COVID case pops up there, and they lock down a whole, and their lockdowns are legit. Like you know, here it's like where you're on lockdown, but no one's really stopping you from going outside or anything like that. There, they have troops on the street that they call in to actually stop you from leaving your house. Um, but maybe you can deal detail a little bit more, just you know what what you've been hearing from family and. From 
friends and what what your reaction has been seeing all this from abroad in a place you were already starting to feel like it wasn't really a place you wanted to go back to in general. But now, I, mean, I don't know what you're thinking. Like, is it do you even could you even see yourself going back to Australia at this point for even a visit? No. Uh, well, for a visit, yeah, we've still got some family. I mean, if, if they let you in and out, I mean, well, we can't. We haven't been able to spend two years. Yeah, probably yeah. not until middle of next year, really. Um, wow. I, well, Australians are a, a decent bunch of people. They're good people. They they're they're funny. They don't take things seriously. Their their attitude is more interested in the sports on the weekend than working. Um, but they'll do the basics that they need to do, but they're family-oriented. It's a pretty decent cultural society. It's a decent bunch of people. They'll give you the shirt off their back if they can, and they'll help each other out where they can. They're good people. So I never criticise my my peers in that regard. The problem is that they're, unfortunately, too trusting and in their particular case, they're too trusting of their government. See, their government's never really screwed them over that they can honestly see. I mean, yeah, if you look over the course of 20 years, you can definitely see they got screwed. But, they, you know, they always look to their government to pull them out of strife. So when COVID happened, um, it was the government lockdown and the vast majority we're willing to do it. They were saying, you know, if it's good for the country and we can stop, we're an island, we can stop people coming in, uh, yeah, we'll lock down. But what they didn't realise was that by empowering the government to do that, they were taking this machine that had already received a long kind of a free reign on extorting them for money and taxing and taxing and taxing and regulating and and creating work that didn't need to be created just so that you know another public servant could make more money and then public servants with more people under them had more power and they could get more money and then they you know it's this ongoing problem well they take that and then there's this intersection of China in there because that was their customer, their biggest trading partner. And then we found out in like 2012 to 2014, China had been planting uh, operatives inside of the Australian political movement. There were elected officials that were actually proxies of the um, Communist Party of China who were running for public office in most states in Australia. They co-opted the universities because they found a way to bring in Chinese immigrants into Australia under the student, uh, under student um, uh, federal programs where if you, you went there for a couple of years and you paid the university like 25 grand, they'd give you uh, like a green card. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was one of those one kid in the family gets it, the whole family can come in like a couple of years later type thing. And, um, and it's funny because I've got a very good friend of mine I grew up with who's a professor at one of the universities, and we sat down over dinner once and he was just almost in tears over the fact that he said, I've got 20 kids in one of my classes. He's a ge- geology professor. And he said, I've got 20 kids in one of my classes. 18 of them are Chinese nationals. Two of them are not, and none of them have actually earned the right to graduate. But I am getting pressured from 
the students and the families of the students to graduate all of them without question because of money. And the chancellors and the deans of the universities are all backing this because they're making so much money on this thing. Well, this what's also happened is within the university structure, there's a very pro-China rhetoric. Um, protests, pro-China protests are allowed, almost encouraged. Now, this may have slowed down the last couple of years because COVID stopped a lot of that foreign exchange student thing happening, but it was still encouraged. It was still allowed to the point where if you went up against it, uh, there were cases of people being thrown in jail for going up against pro-China protests on university campuses. Wow. This eventually rose to a head in about 2018. Australia started, the, the government in there that got in under the what they call the Morrison government came in and they looked at the whole thing and they said, this ain't good. We, we're being taken over here. We need to claim back our identity. We, you know, just because they're buying all of our stuff doesn't mean that we allow this. But I believe that it came too little too late because in the end, Australia and China are now kind of, they, they don't like each other. China won't buy anything from them. Australia's now in hard times. They've all got massive debt, but they don't have the income to cover it. So the government's been stepping in and stimulates, you know, putting stimulus in there to help people pay for their $2.5 million home in Sydney. But at the end of the day, they can't keep that up. That will eventually come crashing. And it, it's just this long line of stupid managerial mistakes that doesn't protect national identity or the, the individuals and sells out to China. Well... This is, a, to me, I see this as kind of a canary in the coal mine scenario. You've got the situation that could happen here. It could happen in Britain. Sure. It could happen in, in Germany. It could happen in Mexico. Um, and it's up to the individual government to be able to say, look, we have a national identity. We're proud of it. And we need to keep that. And we need to push off any threat to it. And the, the one thing that I do really appreciate about being an American because I took my citizenship voluntary here. I did it based on the Constitution, not based on anything else. But the one thing I really do appreciate here is that people aren't afraid to stand up. Now, whether or not they get any power in that, I don't know. But just the exercise of being willing to stand up to stupidity um, has to be an impediment to allow stupidity to run rampant. I hope so. <laughs> I, I, the last year and a half has made me question how much people will really stand up to things here, but I guess it's all relative in, in a lot of ways. Well, yeah, compare it to the situation now in Australia. The government became the, the provider of last resort, the savior of last resort, and now they feel that they have the right to build internment camps all over the place for you know, for COVID um, lockdowns. And we all know that the, the, the vast the reason why they've got this problem is because they screwed up the order of the vaccines. They put all their eggs in one provider's basket who failed them. They didn't order enough. They, they should have ordered, I don't know, 50 million doses. They ordered like two and a half. 
I mean, they screwed this up royally. And by the time they wanted to go back and order more, whether you believe or you don't believe in the vaccine thing, the fact is that they got a 25 million populace. They needed to order 50 million or something, and they didn't. They just screwed it up. And, and the people there put all their faith in government and they put all their taxes in government and they said, government will save me from the dreaded COVID. The very news media that hyped up COVID to the level of fear-mongering and shock and awe media was the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, the, com- the broadcaster run by the government. It's the Politburo. I mean, this is... So does it, is it any, it's no surprise that every time I look in the news, I hear, oh, they're building a thousand person quarantine camp in this place and, and that place. They're taking over old mining camps in the, in the middle of the country, in the outback, where the miners all left and they're turning them into quarantine camps. And when you look at it, you're going, this is Auschwitz. This is like some internment camp. And, 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 I, and I, as an expat, wanting to go back and see my, my wife's mum, who's 85, we can't go back. But in doing that, I realised if I step off the plane, that's where I'm going to be. And guess what? That's a leper colony of COVID right there because anybody who's coming in is probably infected. That's where they're going. And you want me to go and sit, share the bed next to the guy coughing all night? Ain't going to happen. And that and that's that's how the world is right now. It's screwed up, man. Yeah, I mean, I I jokingly posted a poll, but it wasn't. It's not really jokingly, but I just did it for fun uh, on Twitter the other day, saying if you could visit one of these three countries, if you had to visit one in twenty twenty one, which would you go to? Australia, Afghanistan, or North Korea? You want to guess which which country was number was the last on that list? Probably Australia. <laughs> It was Australia by by a lot. And some people are probably voting kind of jokingly. But when I really think about it, like, I, I, I mean, Australia might literally be the last place I'd want to fly to right now because I know where I, I know what good would happen. Whereas North Korea, like North Korea is not a great government at all. But I know if I visit North Korea, I'm going to find some government guy who's going to come pick me up at the airport. I'm going to follow them around. I'm going to stay in a hotel. I'll probably be fine. I can't say that I'll have as pleasant an experience in Australia today in 2021. And that's that's insane to think that that's actually it's actually a question you would have to think about. <laughs> I, I'm sure that you probably have a lot of Australian listeners. And I would say to them, and my general experience in talking to with people from my home country is that for the most part, they willingly accept lockdown in some sort of a pursuit of safety. The reality is that, um, I mean, I had COVID last year. I got over, I was one of the 99% that didn't end up getting killed, right? Or the 95 that didn't go to hospital or whatever. But I know how it felt. I felt like I was a leper when I had it because nobody would touch you and, you know, you were pushed off into the corner and and there was no, you didn't know how to get a test. You didn't know what was going on. I mean, it was kind of scary, but it was like, man, you know, I've been through worse. I can handle this. Um, Australians are good people in that they they probably feel the same way, but nobody I know down there knows anybody who ever had COVID. That's the weird thing. You know, it's all perception of fear. Right. It's, it's, it's sure, it's a freaking horrible virus. And who knows where the hell it came from? But the reality is you've got to 
put on your big boy, your big girl pants and man up and realize, or woman up and realize that the buck stops in your desk. Deal with it. You know, you don't have to go give all of your freedoms up to the government and go, I defer all control to you. You take care of me. That doesn't end well. Did we not read 1984? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sorry. I, I have a mistrust of government that's been built over 50 years of doing battle with them more than them ever coming to my rescue. How the hell would you trust that? Yeah, we could probably go on for hours about all the things going on in Australia, but um, I, I do want to circle back to talk a little bit more about how you help people become unconstrained, how to help people live lives free from government, at least as much as possible to give themselves well, not give themselves, but to create for themselves more liberty in their own lives. That that really is like your underlying message at the end of the day. And I, I know I know a big thing you get into a lot is rental properties and producing rental income. Mm -hmm. And I know what a lot of people are going to be thinking right from the beginning before you even get into it. They're going to be thinking, cool, great. This guy made some money, bought some properties really early. And that's how he's been able to do everything since then. Uh, even though, you know, you've you've said like you've said, you've kind of experienced your own sort of death and birth, you know, rising from the Phoenix cycle several times in your life where a lot of other people might have hit those same the same problems in life that you hit, whether it's a car accident or, or losing all your money in the, in the market or what have you. And that would be it for them. They'd say, well, I, you know, the universe dealt me a bad hand and this is my life now and, and it's over. But for you, you always find a way to to find a new opportunity, you know, just to find the light in the dark. Um, but I but I mean, I know there's probably a lot of people thinking right now, like, OK, great. How do I do this now? Like maybe I'm one of those people stuck in that debt system. Maybe I have a mortgage that I'm struggling to pay. Maybe I have a, a wife and, and kids and I'm just struggling just to just to keep them fed, just to keep them happy and healthy. How how do I take myself from this point where I don't have spare income to put into a property uh, to that can generate revenue for me. How do I get from here to there? How do I become unconstrained? What are the first steps I can take? What do you say to someone like that? You know, my my early experiences were running businesses, so I'm very good at understanding how the the flow of money goes through a business. And most people, if you've ever run a business, you're familiar with what they call a, a profit and loss statement or an income statement. The idea is, and and we all have this in our lives. We earn money that comes in. We spend it all on the stuff that we, you know, we have and we have to service and the debt and the interest and whatever. And then what's left, you get to keep. I found that if you apply that a method, which 99% of most people do, it doesn't end well. You don't actually have much that falls to the bottom of that, that cycle. But if you were to turn it upside down and you were to focus on the expense items and say, let me get rid of everything I don't actually need. Let me pare this down to a manageable level. Then I don't have to earn as much money. But at the same time, if I'm willing to earn the money, and as long as I can find ways to not lose it in taxes, and there's plenty of ways to do that, but um, as long as I'm willing to do that, I might actually have something I get to keep at the bottom. So that's where it started for me. Then I started realizing. If I can really fine tune this, what if I could make all of my money without having to spend one hour of my time? Not even, no labor, right? So we live in a world in the 21st century where that's possible. I mean, automation, robotics, computers, all these things show us that there are ways to make money without actually doing any physical work. 
And I thought there was never a best, better time than to try to implement this method. So what I did was I said, if I'm going to buy something, I'm not going to fall prey to the kind of the, the traditional kind of Wall Street idea or put my money in a 401k or whatever, because I knew that, you know, as we've said already, that life expectancy is short and when I get to actually use the money, it will be way too late. I need it now. What can I buy that for the rest of my life will pay me to own it? And that's where I fell into real estate. But I didn't initially fall into real estate. I discovered there were so many smaller uh, things that were out there that would do that. Uh, Commissions that you could get by helping somebody sign up for a merchant account as a small business. You get a little piece of income every month from the sales that are made through that. Uh, Vending machines. You can go on eBay and buy a vending machine for like 500 bucks. And if you're willing to do a deal with the the local tire store or whatever, where people are are waiting in the waiting room, maybe they'll buy the sodas out of your vending machine and you get to keep the money. I mean, when you're buying them for pennies at Costco and selling them for two bucks in the machine, there's a lot of arbitrage there. And I started looking at that. Every single thing that most of us are taught, and that's this idea, you know, get a degree, work hard, it's the work hard problem. (laughs) If you didn't work hard because you owned assets that made you money, then little by little, as long as you keep your burn rate low, you keep your expenses low, you could easily usurp your expenses with money that you didn't need to do anything to earn. That's when I realized that that's the key. That's truly financial freedom if you can get to that. And the fastest way to get to that was was rents from real estate. But it doesn't have to be just that. It can be anything that generates a dividend. You can buy dividend stocks that pay you to own them. There's a whole bunch of things. But amass it together, pay all your expenses, you're free. Then what? Okay, we've got money out of the way. I don't have to worry about that. Now what? Well, what's also my biggest impediment? well, I want to travel, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to be unconstrained. And that's where I arrived, right? It's one thing to get the money out of the way, do it as early in life as you possibly can because it's a pain in the butt. Nobody ever dies wondering, you know, if they should have spent more time in the office, the old thing. Um, Get the money out of the way. If you want to be a money guy and you want to earn Bezos money, then do it. But at least get started by getting all your expenses paid for. Then you're free to do whatever the hell you want to do with your life. Be an artist, be a be a writer, be a Bezos. I don't know. Do whatever you want. You're free to do it, right? The overall overall idea is to find methods, and there's real estate could be one of them, but there are many methods of just automating your expenses at the end of the day, automating whatever income you need to just live the basics in life. And like you said, at that point, if you've got that covered, everything else you do is a bonus. But the great thing is, if you have that covered, it's going to be so much easier to do everything else. It's going to be so much easier to put your time into some other project and to repeat those methods over and over and over in various different ways and to do so without that fear behind you, uh, without that fear of, oh, no, I need to I need to work tomorrow morning because I have to feed my yeah. family tomorrow night um, and, and getting that off your plate. So that, that is really the message that you preach and what you help people do through Unconstrained, through your, your programs there. Yeah, it's not, it's not really just me. Um, what we're trying to do is to build a kind of what I would call an open source community. Um, we have a big matrix server that I run on our, off our website and we have um, 
you know, the podcast I do and articles and so on. But my goal is for people who are interested in trying to break the social mantra and not follow what everyone's been telling them to do for years, but maybe just try something a little different, um, that you're not alone and that you can come into a community of people who will openly share, hey, I did this and it worked for me, or I tried this, and it, you know, and, and I'm like an open book. I'll tell anybody what I've done. Um, I just got Mexican permanent residency the other day because I wanted a plan B. And so I did a podcast detailing exactly point by point, this is what you do, and people are out there doing it. I mean, that's great. If they want that, they don't have to. I've got myself a little a little backdoor into that one because I just uh, got married last year and my wife is ah. Mexican, so I need to be I need to get to the point where I have a little time to go spend the time there. But uh, I think I'll have I'll, I should be a shoo-in. <laughs> it's pretty easy sure. through marriage, so that, that's that's also my plan B. Excellent. I mean, this, this is the thing: we live in a big planet. We don't want to limit ourselves just to one region. I my story shows how regions can go bad, and you end up feeling a bit stranded. It always helps to have the ability to freely travel. It's part of being unconstrained. Yeah, and that and that's something that is certainly going to be a challenge for a lot of people going forward. Obviously, just the normal COVID restrictions have come in a lot, making travel difficult for a while. And now, depending on how you feel about things, uh, a lot of countries are, are coming with vaccine requirements. I think we're going to see this kind of thing on flights. So it's going to become more difficult. But what is going to remain true, no matter what laws and regulations and what have you uh, kind of prop up around us, the more the more your expenses are taken care of, the more you can put your food on the table automatically, the more you feel free, the easier time you're going to have finding ways around this stuff, regardless of what, what it may be. Yeah, you're right. And, and there are so many lessons in history that we can learn. I mean, the particular one which I noticed where I was in Prague about five years ago, and I went to a place called the Museum of Communism, <laughs> which... I would suggest anybody, you have to go in there with a pretty uh, solid stomach for this because it's pretty messy, but go in there and have a look at that, that museum, walk through it, and if you don't come out the other end of it saying, holy crap, we're never going to have that in our country, you know, it, it, it's something you need to experience. But one thing I, I learned from people, friends I made there, was that in 19, I think it was 19, in the 70s in, in uh, Prague, in Czechoslovakia, um, they created a, a group that kind of splintered off from the totalitarian regime they were in, in what they often call a parallel society. And it kind of traded within itself and it existed within itself and it survived beyond the fall of uh, communism in the region. And when I sort of studied that and realised, I sort of looked around me. I like, say, Los Angeles, for example. You go downtown, you see little Tokyo, little Korea, little Italy, little China, little whatever. These are parallel societies that exist within our society. And I started realising that all of a sudden, if you can't beat, you know, big brother, you can't beat the big guy, and you're trying to, but you just realize that it's just you, right? You can form smaller decentralized communities. And those communities can trade within themselves and they can, they can work as a collective group together to try and solve these problems. And I think that's kind of what I'm trying to do. 
You can be the Amish, only maybe with electricity yeah. if you want. You yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a, maybe not so extreme. You can have a foot in both sides, right? You can still live your regular everyday nine to five life, but at the same time, you can be over here going, I'm going to build this thing up. <laughs> I just bought land in Mexico to build a compound down there. I mean, I'm that freaking crazy. But, but that's the kind of way I want to look at things. I want to have parallel places or I want to just have protection. I want to have plan Bs and Cs and so on just because I don't trust government. Yeah, No one ever had too many backup plans. Exactly. You know? <laughs> your, your worst case is you don't need it. And the best case, you just have exactly. options in life. And either way, that, that's the better place to be. Uh, Miles, it's been been absolutely awesome connecting with you. And I, I really think that, you know, this is a, a message I've been trying to convey to my audience and to myself, to be honest. You know, this is a, I'm, I'm a work in progress, too, on this stuff. But I'm I've been trying to find ways to live a more unconstrained life. And it's it's the same kind of message that um, that I try to you know convey to my audience, bring guests on that that have done so in their own lives. And that is really what I've been trying to do with this show more so than five or six, seven years ago. I was more focused on the philosophy. I was probably ideologically possessed more so in my own way. Uh, but at some point we have to take action in our lives. And that's really what I want to encourage people to, to find ways to do and whatever their own ways may be. And uh, hopefully you can give some more people some some more ideas on that. So uh, thank you so much for joining me, Michael. Before I let you go, uh, Miles, I'm sorry. Before I let you go, um, could you just maybe run through all the ways people can uh, either reach out to you directly, find the podcast, find the communities you're building. Feel free to plug away and everything, Miles. Yeah, everything. Uh, the podcast I do is called the Unconstrained Podcast. Most podcast players and you know iTunes and so on, you'll find it there. Um, if people want direct links to everything, my website is called theunconstrained.com. They go there, everything comes from it. I just need to send people there, really. All right, well, Miles Wakeham, thank you so much for coming here, sharing this message a little bit. Uh, keep up the great work. Keep on roaring. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks. It's an honor to be on your show. Thank you. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Miles Wakeham. And Miles is the exact kind of person that I want to bring on this podcast. People that have found freedom, not to steal the phrase from Promote's show, Finding Freedom, but uh, we all are on sort of a similar mission here to help provide you a perspective from those that have created more freedom in their own lives, created their own personal liberty uh, through their own means, uh, dis despite all of the, uh, the, the pitfalls that have been in their way. And we certainly have a lot of pitfalls in our way in life. Uh, Miles has faced his share of them as well, but he has come out on top uh, and due to many, many factors, uh, his perseverance and just his general attitude towards life being one of them. So he's definitely someone that I wanted to introduce you guys to. You can learn more about him over on his podcast unconstrained. And I will say this is a personal recommendation. I really do enjoy uh, Miles podcast. And that's another reason I wanted to introduce you to guys, Tim, because I do think you're going to get a lot uh, out of that. So I do want to highly encourage you to check out the unconstrained podcast with Miles Wakeham. Of course, don't forget to check out the other podcasts right here each and every week on Lions of Liberty. Brian McWilliams comes at you hard with his unique brand of hard-hitting takes on the latest news and current events each and every Wednesday on Electric Liberty Land, while the aforementioned John Odermatt wraps things up with Finding Freedom every Thursday. You get all three of these programs for the price of one. 
That price is free. Oh my God, all you gotta do, slap that subscribe button. You know how this stuff works. Of course, you can also check us out. We are doing video interviews of all our episodes right now on YouTube as well. And that is mirrored over on Odyssey if you're more into that, because let's face it, at some point, YouTube's gonna give us the boot. I mean, anybody worth their salt's probably gonna get the boot. Maybe this one will do it. I don't know why. We talked about uh, lockdowns. We talked about Australia. Who knows? Who knows what can get you the boot from from, uh, from COVID? Uh, I wish we can get the boot from COVID uh, from YouTube. So do check Check out our Odyssey channel. Everything will live there forever. They are never going to give me us the boot. That I can assure you. Well, that's all I got. Uh, I'm going to get ready in just a few days. I'm really looking forward to my little happy hour summit with Dave Smith and Jason Stapleton. If you want to join us live, you got to join the pride either at Patreon, patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty, or you can be one of our first supporters over on Locals over at lionsofliberty.locals.com. Either method will get you access to that live show on Friday. Join us, have some drinks with us, ask some questions, interact, have a good time with us, and as for the rest of you, I'll see you next week. Until next time. Live long and live free.